All right, let's pray. Our God and Father, we, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us, O oh God. Lord, we are sinful people, God. We are stiff-necked, Lord. We are prone to stray and wander away from you, O oh God. And Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit. We need your spirit, God, to conform us to the image of Christ, to help us understand the word of God so that we might please you and honor you, O oh Lord. So help us, God. Help us this morning. Lord, we need your spirit to open up the scriptures. Lord, I need you to be able to articulate your word clearly to bring your people to your glory, O oh God. Lord, help me. Lord, to settle my heart, the last thing they need to hear is the opinions of a man they need to hear from the only true and living God. So, Lord, help me. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, we are on session four of Marriage Core Seminar. The title of this one today is Marriage and Sin. I do apologize. I do not have a handout. It's literally laying at home on my printer. So <laughs> I'm sorry. You just have to take notes. And um, I apologize. So I'm gonna so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the outline. Do you want, can I get you to give just some blank sheets of paper? I can get him the outline just so you can take notes if that's, you guys okay with that? Just to take notes with? Can you grab just uh, some blank paper, Chris, please? Thank you. So um, when he gets back, what I'll do is I'll give you the outline so you can just follow along. In the meantime, so I go, we'll recap over last week real quick. Uh, so last week we looked at the shape of marriage, look at the shape that marriage takes and the shape that God gave it before sin entered into the world before the fall and how husbands and wives should pursue God's glory in marriage but through distinct and different ways that's what we talked about the last couple of weeks that they we talked about how they had different orientations to these particular duties and that uh there was different in authority with the husband being called to use his authority to love and, and to love his wife and that his wife's to submit and help her husband and correspond to him. So this was part of how we live out. And then we talked about how the, we talked about the power, the paradox, the, the, the purpose, the power, and the paradox of marriage and how the, one of the paradoxes of marriage was to see these differences, the distinctions between men and women, the differences, and yet become this one God-glorifying, one-flesh union, right? So, and all of that was rooted in Genesis 2, it was prior to the fall, and, and this describes a world that is without sin, and then the fall enters in, but praise God in his kindness and his grace towards us, even though sin enters in, it does not destroy God's good and glorious purposes for marriage, All right? So, uh, again, I'm not very, I'm not certain of very many things. But I am certain of one thing, that marriage will bring to the surface all kind of sin and unholiness in everybody in this room, right? 
So neither spouse, neither spouse is immune to this. When you get married, all kind of things, you're going to see all kind of things you never realized was in that person. You're going to see all kind of things in yourself that you never realized that were there. All right. So today we'll be looking at the fall in Genesis 3 and see how it applies to marriage. And then next week we'll continue this theme of marriage and sin and how it relates to us and how we have these different roles and how we can flourish in marriages, have God glorifying marriages in spite of the fact that there's sin in the world, sin in us, and we're married to a sinner. Amen. So again, I don't have a handout. This is just blank sheets of paper back there. I apologize. So what I'm going to do is give you the outline so you can write it down real quick, and then you can take notes. All right, so Roman numeral number one is sin's arrival. Sin's arrival. That will be Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Sin's arrival, sin's arrival. That's uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The next one is sin's effect. Sin's effect on marriage. That's Genesis verse, chapter 3, verse 8. Okay. And the next point will be your own sin then the next point will be your spouse's sin then the next will be sin's curse I'm so sorry about this and then Conclusion. Okay. No, not necessarily. Yes and no. It, I'm kind of. It's yeah. It's nothing in particular. Um, but it, you'll hear it when you get when we get there. So let me read. We're in Roman numeral number one. Sin's arrival. <clears throat> That's Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, right up, straight away, Genesis chapter 1 through 3 is real history. Okay, it's real history. It actually happened. This is not an allegory. 
This is not a myth. This is actually what happened in real history, okay? It's the history of creation. It's the history of how the world, and, it, and it's the history of how the world is a complete mess, okay? It explains to us why we have so much trouble in, at work, with our children, and in our marriages, okay? And these chapters of the Bible tell us exactly who we are and what we are. So that being said, many of us don't like this story. That's why you have so many people who call themselves Christians who start to try to turn Genesis 1, 2, and 3 into some kind of myth or allegory or try to explain it away. It's because the story is not very flattering. It does not put us in a very good light. And believing this story for what it says and believing this story on its own terms and agreeing with what it says means that we have to deny our own goodness and our own righteousness. If we agree with what happens in the first parts of this story, and we get to the fall, and if everything, or since everything in this is true and historical, that means we are not as good as we seem to think. Amen? So every one of us, to a man, to a person, is born into a condition of sin with a proclivity to sin. Every person, every one of us, every time you look in the mirror, that person that you're looking at is fallen. And the reason why that is is because of the verses that we just read. And furthermore, sin has so deeply affected humanity, right, that we have lost the ability to know God Truly to love God without Christ and to know and love each other without being redeemed and without the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we lost the ability to know that we lost the ability. Okay? We lost the ability to know that we lost the ability. In other words, our spiritual blindness leaves us so blind that we think we can actually see. Okay? We are blind. Sin blinds the mind of an unbeliever. Right? You're blind. You're blindfolded. And you're stuck in a labyrinth. And without Christ and his revealed word, there is no escape. Do y'all know what a labyrinth is? Okay? It's not like a maze. It's kind of like a maze, but it's a maze that you can't get out of because it keeps taking you to the center. Right? Uh, absent of Christ without his word, that's what we are. We're stuck in our sin and there's no way out because you know why? We have a tendency to look inward and we just keep going in and in and in and in and in deeper and deeper and deeper into this pit. Okay? And therefore, for this reason, the posture that we must take when we approach Scripture is a posture of absolute humility. Okay? We do not instruct the Bible. The Bible instructs us, right? So, yes, it's true. We interpret the word of God, but in reality, it interprets us. One of the best pieces of advice that I ever got from a, a Christian, an older Christian man, was read your Bible and believe it, okay? The scripture tells us the truth about ourselves, and without the scriptures, we will remain in a state of blindness, stuck in this labyrinth. Okay, so what does all this have to do with marriage, you're asking? Everything. Everything. Okay? 
if you do not rightly understand the fall, what happened, what the results were, and how these results distinctly affect you as a man and a woman, then you will go into marriage woefully unprepared for what's about to happen. Okay? If you have a poor or inadequate theology of the fall, if you do not know how the fall uniquely affects you as a male and as a female, and you decide to marry, you might as well sign up for a boxing match blindfolded. You will have no idea what's going on. Okay? So here in Genesis 3, verse 1, we see the serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent enters into the scene, tempts Eve, tempts Eve by asking this question, did God actually say you shall not eat of any other tree? Of any tree, okay? <clears throat> I want you to notice something here, okay? He doesn't directly go after Adam, okay? He doesn't directly go after Adam. His initial target is Eve, and his temptation is very subtle. It really doesn't have anything to do with the fruit. It is indirectly about the nature and character of God and indirectly about the nature of Eve, okay? So it's indirectly about the nature and character of God and indirectly about the nature of Eve. So what he's trying to do here is he's trying to make her doubt what God says. He's trying to make her doubt the truthfulness of God's word. He's trying to make her feel as though that God is a liar. Okay? And he's trying to make her believe that God is withholding something good from her. Okay? He's trying to get her to doubt the truthfulness of God, the goodness of God, and it, that God is jealous and trying to withhold something good from her. Okay? And in regards to herself, he's trying, the serpent is trying to convince Eve that she lacks something. You lack something. If you eat that fruit, you'll be able to have the, 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 the knowledge of good and evil. You lack that. God's trying to hold that back from you. He's not really as good as you think he is. Okay? So he's trying to persuade her to believe that she is not what she is, which is perfect and complete, in order to make her become what she is not, which is fallen and empty. Amen? That's what he's doing. And we all know that the story, in the story she falls, her husband eventually follows her, they sin against God, and in response, the Lord curses all parties involved. He curses the man, he curses the woman, he curses the serpent. And so for us specifically, we need to understand, again, how the fall affects you individually, specifically as a man and a woman. So first, I want to say this, one of the mistakes we make when reading this passage, Genesis uh, 1 through 7, we improperly apply New Testament passages about temptation to this, to what happened at the fall. Okay? So, so remember, we're fallen, we're blind, we thoroughly misunderstand sin and our own temptation. So when we read verses in the Bible, in the New Testament about temptation, 
we falsely apply them to this. Okay, so here's what I mean by that. So Adam in his original state, right, was perfect and sinless. So was Eve. Perfect, sinless. There was no internal sin. There was no internal bent towards sin. They're not fallen. Okay? And so Christ, they're just like Christ. That's why we call, that's why Paul calls Christ the second Adam. They were perfect and sinless. They had not, they did not have an inherited sin nature in them. Okay? They're not like us. They're not like you and I in this passage, which means they don't, like I said, they don't have this internal prompting toward disobedience. And so Adam's initial sin, also, it was singular. He had one rule. So it was singular and it was external, right? While our temptation is internal and infinite. There's nothing that people will not fall under. That makes sense to you? Listen, there's not a single thing that cannot serve as a temptation in this world. There's somebody floating around here right now out in the world somewhere that dust will cause them temptation to sin. You understand what I'm getting at? The temptation to sin in humanity is infinite. Right? There, yes, sir. So there's, there are people in this world that will see that the color red will tempt them to sin. Right? Like, there's, like, it's unlimited. Yes? I'm going to get there. Just stay with me. I'm getting there. Okay? So the human soul is broken. The human soul is depraved and can be tempted by anything and everything. Okay? And that applies to every single person in this room. Wife, that applies to you. Husband, that applies to you. Single lady, that applies to you. Single man, that applies to you. Right? The lo- and why is the location of your temptation so important to understand as it relates to marriage? Because when you understand that your in- temptation is internal, right, you'll resist the urge to look out to the world and say, oh, we better be careful. Look at all that temptation and all them sinners out there. It's everywhere. I got to go be a hermit somewhere and go lock myself in a room. No, the temptation is in you. You're the problem. Okay? I'm not saying that there's not temptation out there, but you are the problem. Okay? So, temptation is in you. In courtesy of an invitation by Satan that was accepted by Adam, you and I were invaded and conquered and now there's a war going on in your heart if you're a believer. And there is a tyrant in your heart right now. And unless the true King Jesus comes and liberates you from the bondage of that tyrant, you will never be free from that tyranny. You understand that? Do you understand that? And that's true for every one of us. Not just your spouse but you, okay? So second, regarding the fall, we need to understand that it affects every man, it affects every woman, however, it affects them differently, okay? So look, Genesis chapter 3, 16 through 19, it says, we're going to come back to this later, but I'm going to read it real quick. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply 
your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Uh, you, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but, you shall, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So look, the curse, these curses are distinct for each party involved. Okay? The serpent, the man, the woman, they're all cursed differently. So at the fall, Adam and Eve both sinned against God in different ways. And in a way, they, they went against the good design that God made for their individual roles as husband and wife. And Eve was supposed to follow and help her husband. Instead, she's the one that leads him into sin and temptation. He, the man, was created from the ground. He was called to work the ground. And, and the ground itself was cursed. Because of his sin, and in contrast, the woman was created for the man. She was called to help the man, and her, her orientation is toward a relationship, and that's the very thing that God curses. The very thing that God called you to do, man, is built into you. It's baked into the cake. That very thing that God created you to do, that your heart is drawn to, is cursed. Women, the very thing that God has called you to, the very thing that your heart is drawn to is cursed. Do you understand that? You have to understand that when you get married. You have to understand that, okay? If you are a believer, there is a war going on inside of you. There is a war going on inside of you right now. If you've been redeemed, you still have indwelling sin, Okay? We t reformers talk about this all the time. It's already not yet. Yes, you're saved, but you're still fighting a war against sin right now. Amen? Okay. I'm assuming you're a Christian. And if you are, there's a war happening right now. Okay? So the effects of the fall are still present before us and in us. So consequently, women... When you marry, understand there will be an ever-present temptation to fight and war against the very role that God has given you to do. The very thing that God has made you for, there's going to be a war in you to go against that. If you're a believer, you will simultaneously desire a husband to protect you and lead you and provide for you and who loves you the way that Christ loved the church, and at the same time, your flesh is going to hate it when he does it. Men, when you marry somebody, understand something. There is in you an ever-present temptation to fight in war against the role that God made for you. Okay? If you're a believer, again, you will simultaneously desire a woman who's going to help you do what God has called you to do, right? And who respects you and who honors you. And at the same time, in your heart, 
your flesh will be warring against how you're supposed to lead, provide, and protect your wife. Okay? So you have to understand this, men and women. Ladies, these men that you're sitting next to, there's a war going on inside of them. Do you understand that? When you look at your spouse, there is a war going on inside of your spouse. He was created by God for the purpose of leading, leading you, providing for you, and protecting you unto the glory of God. And the world is constantly tempting him to follow, to take, and to harm. To do the exact opposite of what God has called him to do. The world is constantly drawing him, pulling, trying to pull his heart away to do the opposite. He has his own internal temptation that's tempting him to sin. And creation itself, creation itself is cursed and is literally warring against him, making it hard for him to provide and protect you. Do you, do you understand and believe that, ladies? Do you understand and believe that? Men, there's a war going on inside of your wife, okay? She was created by God to be a helper suitable to man, to help you glorify God. And the world is constantly, constantly tempting her to be fiercely independent, telling her she don't need no man, right? She has to fight internal temptation in her, of her own sin. And she is cursed with a desire that is utterly at odds with the very thing that she wants. Do you understand that? Like, do you understand that? You have to get your head around that, right? So the question is, how are you, how should we interact with our spouses knowing this? How are you supposed to act with your spouse knowing that's literally a war going on inside of this person that they want to do what it is God has called them to do, but it's a war, everything of fighting against that. How are you going to interact with them? So listen, back in Genesis 3, implicit in Satan's question, did God really say? There's an invitation to reject the truth about God, the truth that God is faithful, that God is sure, and that God never lies, and that God is good. That's what Satan is inviting Eve and Adam to do at this, at this temptation, right? But nothing is further from reality, family. God is eternally faithful. As a matter of fact, God cannot lie, right? God is good. God is faithful. All that he does is good. Amen? Right? So sadly, at the fall, Adam and Eve accept this alternative reality. They accept this alternative reality. They believe Satan rather than God, right? So I want you to stop and think for a moment. What and who are the voices, what or who are the voices competing and threatening to overshadow the word of God in you? Right? I want you to think about this. What are you watching on television? Who are the people that you're listening to? What are the things that you're hearing and watching that, is, that are competing against the word of God, that are overshadowing the word of God, that are causing you to believe something else other than what God has said? Who, who is that person? What is that thing? Okay? 
Okay, think about it. Write it down. I'm just dead serious. Write down one thing. Okay? And then this is what I want you to do. Stop listening. Okay? Stop listening to them. Whoever it is, whatever it is, stop listening to them. Okay? Nothing, nothing that stands opposed to God and his word will ever be good for you. You understand what I'm getting at? I don't care if that's your friend. I don't care if that's your mother. I don't care who that is. If they are giving you information contrary to the word of God, stop listening. Okay? Very often, Satan is working through the world around us in our flesh to confuse us and deceive us. Okay? Okay? So remember, we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? The world, the flesh, and the devil. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the world, of course, is telling us all kind of lies about marriage. It lies about what you need to be happy. It tells you that personal freedom and control is the only path to happiness. I just want to, I'm here to tell you, control is an illusion. You literally have no control over your life. You always two seconds away from getting T-boned at a light and not being here no more. You literally have no control. Whatever control that you think you have over your life is fantasy. Okay? One 10-second phone call right now from somebody you love will wreck your whole life right now. You have no control. God is the only one in control of the world. Okay, whatever amount of control you think you have or you're trying to seize, it's imaginary, it's fictional. Okay? The world lies to us and it minimizes the consequences of sin. The world is constantly trying to minimize the consequences of sin. Sins like rage, like gossip, like pornography, like pride, like uh, gossip, right? It constantly minimizes these things, right? And then there's our flesh. So as human beings, right, our skills of self-justification, self-righteousness, and self-justification uh, are quite extraordinary. We are extraordinary at this. We need to be, every one of us need to be teaching classes on how to justify themselves. Okay? Very often, it is these lies that kill a marriage. The lies that we tell ourselves very often are the lies that kill marriages. Okay? So I need you to think about this for a minute, man. Some of us have lied to ourselves, and we think that we could constantly, year after year after year after year, lead our wives poorly and then can't understand why the family's not following the Lord. Like, you've lied to yourself, and you said, I was terrible at my job, and I, I should be getting good results. It's a whole bunch of big rocks in your head right now, bouncing around. That is a complete lie. You seriously think that you can fail completely at, at completely neglect your role at leading your family and training your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they're actually going to fear the Lord. Some of y'all actually believe that. Ladies, some of y'all don't believe this Bible. Some of y'all don't believe that this fall, the curse that God gave Adam, that you got it. Some of y'all don't believe that. Some of y'all, really in y'all mind, 
think that you could have a husband that's going to submit to you and the house not going to just turn into utter chaos. Some of y'all believe that. These are the lies we tell ourselves. And these are the lies that destroy marriages. Right? So the question is, is how can we resist these lies? How can we resist the lies that the world is telling us? How can we resist the lies that Satan is trying to feed us? How can we resist the lies that we have lied and told ourselves? And the lies that we reinforce with our own sophisticated web of self-justification and self-righteousness. How do we fight against these lies? We got one hope, family. One hope and one hope only. And that is the revealed word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what is inspired in his book. Amen? That's the only hope you got. You got nothing else. Everything else is outworking from that. Okay? So the most important thing you can do for any marriage is to regularly look to Christ and spend time in the Word of God. Okay? At home, at church, on vacation, whenever, wherever you can, you need to be in the Scriptures as a group, as a family. Okay? If you ever get into a season where God's Word has fallen, you have moved away, you have distancing yourself away from the Word of God, trust me, you're in a very precarious situation. In life, let alone in a marriage. Okay? Also, we need other people who know us well to speak God's word into our marriages. The word is fellowship and discipleship. Okay? When marriages have gotten into trouble in this particular church, the trouble often was preceded by isolation. Okay? Isolation is the devil's playground. You cannot do this alone. You're married, you, you can't even have a decent marriage without the church. Okay? Young people, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Listen to me well. The Bible, that's what the Bible says. Older women teach younger women. Older men teach younger men. Why? Because you do not know what you're doing. You don't know what you don't know. You're going to mess it up. You don't know. And the crazy part about it is, is that you think you do. You sincerely believe that you know what you're talking about. And all the old people in the room saying, at, laughing at you going, he about to mess all of that up. That's a train wreck right there. And you're like, no, I'm good. You cannot do this by yourself. Do not allow a busy season at work or shame of sin to lead you away from fellowship with the saints. Okay, when you do this, you'll soon start to believe the lies of the world, the lies that you tell yourself, and the lies that Satan is trying to feed you when you isolate yourself. So those are the two main things, the word of God, fellowship with the saints. Amen? So you know this statement, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? You know this? So often Christians try to do the same thing in their marriages. So what happened in my marriage, supposed to stay in my marriage, you ain't supposed to be telling nobody? Don't you dare go telling my friends how I'm struggling. Okay, what you are doing when you do that is you are playing into the devil's hands, family. Right? Hear the word of the Lord. Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. The NASB says it like this. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against sound wisdom. 
you are fighting against common sense. You're going to lose. Okay? Do not isolate yourself, family. Listen, just as a point of application, if you're married, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who is the person that your spouse can go to when they can't get through to you? You understand the question? So let's just say, Lori, I'm trying to, I got my Bible open, Lori's clearly sinning, right? And I'm like, babe, come to Christ, you're sinning, stop, babe, come to Christ. And I just can't get through to her. Who's the woman that I can go to and say, sister, I need you to talk to Lori? Who's that person for your spouse? You understand that? So who's the person that you can call and say, I need you to talk to Joanne? Got it? Ladies, men, if, that, if you cannot identify that person for your spouse, you got a problem. That means there's nobody discipling you, you're not in fellowship with somebody, and you're isolating yourself, and you're deceiving yourself. Do you understand? Is this making sense to you? This is just practical application here, okay? You need to be checked. Your heart needs to be on a leash, and you can't do it by yourself, and most oftentimes, when you get, like, knuckleheaded, your spouse is going to have a really hard time doing it, okay? And you need somebody else in your life able to do that. Who's the person that your spouse can call and say, my wife is tripping right now? Who is that person? If you can't identify that person, you have a problem. Amen? I know the young people ain't going to say amen. All the older people who've been married for a while are saying amen right now, right? <laughs> so you are prone to self-deception, okay? And your greatest ally is the word of God spoken by God's people into your life. That's your greatest ally. You do not, you have blind spots, and you need other people to help you see them. Do you understand what I'm saying to y'all? Stop lying to yourself. Stop. You don't know what you're doing without the word of God in his church. You don't know. You cannot do this by yourself. You are going to fall. I, can, I don't know. I'm not certain about very many things other than the fact that I love sandwiches and this word is true. Okay? Y'all understand what I'm telling, what I'm telling you? If, you? if your spouse cannot identify this other person, you're in trouble. Okay, so I'm going to pause for a second. Any questions so far? No questions? All right. So listen, Roman numeral, the, sec, or the next point is sin's effect. So what happens once Adam and Eve uh, buy into the lies? In verse, so we, in Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I, am in <clears throat> I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said to the woman, the man, I'm sorry, the man said, The woman you gave to me, the, I'm sorry, 
the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Okay, so two things. First, Adam and Eve, they try to hide from God. The sin that they committed has terrible, terrible consequences for their vertical relationship with God. And then he confront, they're confronted by God and they immediately start blaming each other. They start blaming each other, okay? Adam was supposed to lead his wife. Adam was supposed to protect his wife from the serpent. He was supposed to do what the second Adam did, right? When, his, when the second Adam, when the bride of Christ, the second Adam sinned, he died for her. He didn't throw her under the bus and be like, it was her. He didn't do that. He took responsibility, even though he was not guilty of that sin, Christ takes responsibility for the sins of his bride and dies in her place on the cross. Adam was supposed to go to God and say, this woman that you gave me, she sinned and I'm going to die for her. That's what he was supposed to do, family. That was his job. And he failed. And what he did was he threw her under the bus. Okay? So sin has terrible consequences for our vertical relationships. It has terrible consequences for our horizontal relationships. And so sin, what it does is it corrupts our relationship first and foremost with God. So this, this Adam and Eve's disobedience, it brought guilt and shame into their relationship with God. This freedom to be like unclothed before God is gone now. It's no longer possible. Now it's shame. And they hear from them. And so, and hiding your sin is the fundamental way in which sin destroys your relationship with God. Okay? Listen to me, family. Sin thrives in the darkness. Why do you think roaches run when the lights come on? Why do you think that happens? They hate the light. Right? Why do you think people always want to be in dark, smoky places when they commit sin? So can't nobody see it. Right? Stop hiding your sin. Confession, God has given you a, a mechanism. It's confession so that you could be free. Right? Christ is a fountainhead of life. Christ is a fountainhead of wisdom. Christ is the fountainhead of peace. And the number one way Satan destroys a marriage is by getting you away from God and getting you to hide your sin from each other and the saints, and he is, it's going to ruin your marriage. Do you hear me? It is going to ruin your marriage. Do not ever be deceived into thinking that the sin between you and your spouse is only between you. Okay? If you are a member of this church and you're in here sinning and you're sinning with your wife, it's affecting the whole body. The whole body is going to be sick. Do you understand that? Your sin is not just your sin. It's going to affect all of us. Do you understand that, family? That's why you're supposed to confess. That's why, so we can help you so that you can be free of it because you're going to destroy us too. Do you understand that? Okay? Remember what David said to God after he had, he killed Bathsheba's husband? You remember? He committed adultery, killed Bathsheba's husband, and he said, against you, you only have our sin and done what is evil in your sight. He killed people. He lied to people. He committed adultery. But his first primary was against God. When was the last time you committed, you confessed sin, family? 
When's the last time that you, and I ain't talking about the way that Southern Baptists confess sin either. I'm talking about really confessing your sin. Okay? Not this nebulous like, oh, I don't pray enough. That ain't confessing sin. Okay? When was the last time that you actually confessed sin the way that the Bible says that sin is supposed to be confessed? I can guarantee you if you're not doing that, your, your marriage is probably a mess. I can guarantee you that. Okay? Sin corrupts your relationship, your vertical, I mean, I'm sorry, your horizontal relationships with your spouse. And that goes without saying, listen, it goes without saying that sin attacks our relationship with God, and that's the most serious attack. Okay? That's the most serious one. But the most obvious one is the one with the people around us. That makes sense to you? The most serious one is against God, but the most obvious one, the one that's most visible is the ones against the people that are around us, especially your spouse because you live with them. They're, the, they're in closest proximity to you. So before the fall, Adam and Eve lived in complete sinless harmony. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay? Loving each other and trusting each other. And after the fall, their marriage was tainted by self-centeredness, pride, and sin, just like all of ours. Okay? And when God questioned him, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and all that blame shifting, right? In all of this blame shifting, nobody accepted responsibility for their own sin, nor did they respond well to the sin of the other people. Okay? So, your own sin. How are you supposed to respond to your own sin when you're married? So perhaps more than any other relationship, marriage is going to tempt us to deflection. You hear what I'm saying, family? Deflection. Here's what I mean. Here's what one commentator said. Those who do not think about their own sins and make up for it by thinking constantly about the sin of other people. That makes sense to you? Those who do not think about their own sin make up for it by constantly thinking about the sin of other people. Okay? So one complication is that in marriage, the blame game, whenever you start, like, blaming your spouse about the sin that, you, you know, you committed, some of it's probably true when you start to deflect. You understand what I'm getting at? So because you're so tightly joined to marriage, Together, of course, sometimes some of, the, some of the sin that you did, they influenced it. That makes sense to you? So when Adam said it was the woman that you gave me, he wasn't exactly lying. Because she did tempt him. But he was still responsible. So sometimes it's true. Your wife, your husband, they did do something stupid. Right? So it's not because you're not independent of one another but you're nevertheless responsible. So, so we fail to take responsibility for our sin and we deflect. We start blaming other people. And then the other way uh, of, that we, like it's a very sophisticated way of deflecting is by deflating the sin, you know what I mean? So instead of deflecting and blaming, you'll, they'll say something like, oh, I'm so terrible, I'll never change, I'm never gonna change, I'm just a terrible person, oh, I'm gonna, okay? which translate to give me pity, give me pity, don't ask me to change, don't stop asking me to change because I'm too bad to change, I'm gonna stay in my sin, leave me alone. Okay, that's what you're saying. Okay, so blame shifting is addressing sin, so when you blame shift, you're casting the responsibility of sin elsewhere, right? 
And self-condemnation is when all you is you avoiding the sin by just giving up. You just throw your hand up and say, I don't care that God made the world ex nihilo out of nothing. He can never stop me from sinning. That's what you're saying. I'm being sarcastic. But the result is the same. You're running from your responsibility. You're running. You're running. And if you're saved, family, listen to me. You're free. You're free. There is none that can bring a charge against God's elect. And you're free to fix the problem. Fix it. Okay? So why do we do this? Why do we deflect and deflate? Why do we do that? It don't make sense. You have an answer. Christ crushed sin on the cross. Why are you running from it? It don't make sense. He already won. Help me understand why you're running from something and that they already won. You already won. Why are you running? It don't make sense. Okay? So the gospel tells us that we're sinners, but that through the cross, Jesus has forgiven us. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are done. They're dead. Okay, God has thrown them in a sea of forgiveness. They are far, far away from the east is from the west. He has broken the power of sin and death. Okay, so when we act like in, I don't understand when you get confronted with your sins. Just deal with it. Just deal with it, right? So when you, what do we do though? Like, this is our tendency. Hold on, I'm going to rant a little bit. Give me, one, give me like five minutes. Listen, this is what we do, Okay. We play the blame game, or we, or we do this deflating thing, okay? Because it seems like that's the best way in the moment to, like, get out of this, right? We try to wiggle out of this. But listen to this. If you really want what's best for your marriage, right, which is for God to use you for his glory, to show off his mercy to other people, then you need to not do that. Okay? Don't run away from that. Listen to me. When your spouse confronts you about your sin, this is the tendency that we have. Okay? So let's say your spouse talked to I'm not going I'm not going to look at anybody cuz I don't want to think I'm talking to you. Look. My you confronting your spouse on your sin and like 95% of what you said is actually 100% or is accurate. But the 5% of what you said is not precise, right? You spoke in some generalities. You said every time, if I was to say, every time we go to uh, such and such house, you disrespect me. And so you laser beam in on the word every time. What's well, a generality? I don't mean 100%. You know that. But here's what you do. You deflect, and with laser beam focus and the tenacity of a lion and cheetah-like agility, you focus in on that 5%, right, in order to avoid dealing with this mountain of sin that's in front of you, right? But if you would just adopt God's goal for your marriage, which is to reflect him, to represent him, you'll find it much easier to address the sin in your life. It's easier. So just confess and go to the cross. And in regards to your spouse's sin, because your sin is only half the battle. You married to somebody else that got sin too, amen? 
Okay, so listen. How are you supposed to respond to your spouse's sin? Men, do not do what Adam did. When your wife comes to you and confess, do not condemn her. Okay, take her to the cross. Take her to Christ. Show her grace and mercy. We have to do better than our forefather did. We have a better Adam. Do what the better Adam did. Okay? And now I know all of this is theoretical. Treat her like Jesus. Listen, this is what I mean. Now, listen. I'm going to give you three really practical ways to do this. You need to understand something. Some of the stuff that you call sin is not sin. You understand what I'm saying? Some of the stuff that you call sin is not sin. Some of the stuff that you call a sin is stuff that your mama taught you that's just the way that y'all did it in y'all house. Okay? It ain't necessarily right or wrong. It's just different. Show me in the, in the Bible or in the Constitution where I'm supposed to dust before I vacuum. Show me that. Where that's at in the Bible. So you dust first and then vacuum, and I, and I vacuum first and then dust. That ain't sin. That's just what y'all did in your house. So stop trying to put your preferences off on me. Sometimes some of the things that we see sin are just weaknesses. Okay, understand the difference between the two. When I was very along, young along in my marriage, I used to characterize what I thought my wife was complaining about. I would be like, you're grumbling, you're complaining, that sin. In reality, she was just scared about something. And I just wasn't being gracious. So make sure you listen well, man. Okay? Make sure you listen well. Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it's to his folly and his shame. Make sure you know what you're talking about before you start jabbering off at the lips and accusing them of sin. Make sure it's actually sin according to the scriptures. Okay? And then here's the second thing. Okay? Be aware of the danger of growing disdain. Okay? Be aware of the danger of growing disdain. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? See, Ms. Sheila, how long have you been married? Like, this is, this is real subtle when it creep up on you real like, subtle, okay? So, there is, how can I explain this? So, 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 remember in session one, I was talking about, like, we need to embrace these differences in marriage. We need to trust these differences and that, see them as good. And then we talked about how learning to trust these differences actually can create a good marriage, right? Remember, we talked about that in the next section. Next section. Now, so, so what, now here what I'm talking about is, Learning to trust God in the midst of your spouse's deficiencies, okay, in their, in their deficiencies. So here's the problem. Sometimes when you, when you marry somebody, it takes a long time for you to actually see them, the deficiencies. So you see somebody, you're you in this romantic, like, relationship, and you're not married yet, and you haven't actually lived with them, and then you, you, you end up living with them, and then, like, you get to, like, year three, and you're like, oh, snap. I didn't know that. If I would have known that, I'm, I don't know if I would have signed up for this, right? And so if you're not careful, that can grow into disdain if you're not careful, okay? So you ask any married person that's been here married any length of time, they'll tell you, over the years, your spouse changes a lot. How long have you been married, Miss Jen? 
How many times have you woke up and was like, I know his name is Doug, but this is not the same guy. How many times have you thought that? A few. You, people change over the years. Okay, you have to go in understanding that. But the question is, are you going to trust God with those changes? Are you going to trust God with those deficiencies? Okay, because they're going to be deficient in some way. Thank you. And then here's the third thing. Okay, listen, that you need to trust God with your spouse's sins and weaknesses. Okay, so you have the te- you're going to have the temptation to do this. I know the person that I'm married to is not perfect. I know they're not perfect, right? But overall, they're good, so I'm going to take the good with the bad. That's not the attitude you should have. That sounds good, but that's not Christian. Okay, that's not a Christian attitude to have. Okay, what you're supposed to do is think this. God is good. God is sovereign. And even my spouse's flaws, God sovereignly custom-made those for me for my sanctification. That's good. God gave you that person to sanctify you. That person's sin, that particular person that you married, that you said I do to, God, in his grace and in his sovereignty, made that person with those flaws to draw out that ugly dross out of you. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those that love Christ Jesus. That's including your spouse's sin. Okay? So, I'm running out of time. Real quick, I'm going to say this right here. So, God in his grace and mercy, at the fall, he curses the ground for the man, and he curses relationships for the woman. And he does that and it's gracious because to ask most men what they do, what do they make? What is a lot of men, what their idol is? Work. Women, what is their idol? Family, spouses, right? So God curses that because here's what's going to happen if he does it, okay? You're going to run to that idol, and you're going to not worship God anymore. So what God does is he, 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 he curses it so that when you start to run to it as your personal savior, it'll, it'll crumble under the weight of, of, of you and your expectations, and all you have left is to run to Jesus. So even in that curse, God has cursed, cursed your relationship, ladies, so that you could run to him. Men, God has cursed your ability to lead, provide, and protect to your life. Why? So you could, so you could come to your end of yourself and say, I need Jesus. Do you understand this, family? Do you believe it? Read your Bible and believe it. That's all you got to do. Read your Bible and believe it and trust Jesus. Amen? All right, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to this. I got to go. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us. Lord, thank you for crushing those things, God, that we would be prone to bow down to as idols so that we would only run to you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us run to Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.